This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. We're talking about the feasts of God, and uh, I want to pick that topic up today and get straight into it. So, uh, how many of you can remember what the first three feasts were, what they're called? They're called the spring feasts. And I, I, I want you to really grasp those because the first three feasts, the spring feast, and then the fourth feast is also considered a spring feast, although it falls in the summer, is the feast of Pentecost. And let me just give a quick recap for those of you that may have not have been here or don't understand the importance of understanding the feasts of God. Now, I had somebody come to me and they said, why are we studying Jewish feasts? Well, they're not Jewish. They're God's feasts. God made these feasts for all mankind. And the Jews practiced them. It's just that the church, uh, somewhere along the way, we got infiltrated. And we decided to take on pagan holidays instead of the holidays that God set and the seasons that God set. So we've been learning about God's calendar. Or as uh, we had Pastor Mark Biltz here, and he told us that it's called God's Daytimer. And uh, we've learned how... God commanded his people to celebrate specific and appointed times, seasons, or feasts. These are called moedim, the word moed, and we get the word moedim. Everybody say moedim. Okay, so these are feasts, moed. And we've become aware that just like the devil deceived Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden so that they would partake of something God forbid, so has the church been infiltrated. And in fact, we practice things that are just as deceptive, maybe just as deadly to us. We're not sure. And the deception comes when we understand that God made certain days and certain times for his people. And Satan, because of who he is, determined that he would get us off course. He would try to get us off track and try to redefine God's calendar. Well, that makes us unaware of some of the things that God's about to do if we continue on that path. Daniel 7 says it this way. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and laws. The holy people will be delivered into the hands for a time, times, and a half time. Now, we see that He's trying to change the set times and change the laws so that we get confused. The enemy only has one plan. He robs, he kills, and he destroys. Last week, we looked at the Hebraic calendar. And we began to return to the dates that God set forth in the Hebraic calendar. We also looked at the difference between Hebrew thinking and Greco-Roman thinking. And... You know, I think that even in that way, we've been infiltrated. And somebody said to me, well, what's wrong with Greek thinking? Absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's just that if you don't understand that there's another way to think, you may go down one track and end up in a place that you don't really want to be in. Greco-Roman thinking has overtaken our society to the point that it centers on being an individual, individualism. Whereas Hebraic thinking is community. That's why the church thrives under a Hebraic way of thinking. You consider others more important than yourself. You become other people-minded. If you are Greco-Roman in your thinking, it's all about me. 
It's all about my personality, my gift, my ministry. Whereas God says, no, it's about us. It's about we. And we rejoice when one is celebrated, we all celebrate. When one hurts, we all hurt. And so we're introducing biblical concepts, biblical thinking back into the church. For some of us, it's like, I've never heard of that before. It's kind of shocking. And so I want you to grasp it, okay? A major point in the Hebrew culture is, as I said, we and community versus the Greek, which is I, me, and individuality. So let's just talk about these feasts or the, the moed, the appointed times. We saw that there are seven feasts in the Bible, seven feasts that God ordained. Now, there are many more feasts. Not all of them are God-ordained. Some of them are traditions of the Jewish faith. We have to understand there's a distinction between what the Jewish faith does and what God ordained. The seven feasts or the seven appointed times of the Lord have a past and a future prophetic meaning. In other words, they speak not only to the future, but they speak to the past. So we can follow them. We can see the, the Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacle. And we're going to be breaking that down a little bit more today, okay? God gave Moses these dates and these feasts of the Lord when he was with the Lord face to face on Mount Sinai. So that's important that we understand that. Leviticus 23 sums them all up. And uh, just turn with me to Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, and we're going to read verse 4. These are the set times of the Lord, the sacred occasions which you shall celebrate, each at its appointed time. The NIV says, these are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies that you are to proclaim at their appointed times. I think I have one more translation up there, don't I? No? Okay. Uh, so, the spring feasts, let's just talk about those quickly. We talked about those last week. We talked about, uh, on the calendar, we talked about these four feasts that we know as the spring feasts. And, of course, the reason is because they come in the spring of the Hebrew calendar, which happens to be the spring of the uh, Greco-Roman calendar in the northern hemisphere. Okay? But it starts with Passover, or Passat, which symbolizes Christ giving of himself to us on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. Okay, we understand that, you know, the Passover, the Passover meal uh, was symbolic of Jesus dying on the cross. It was followed by the second feast a couple of days later, which symbolizes the removal of sin from our lives called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, this is very important that you understand that it was unleavened bread. Why unleavened? There was no sin in it. How many of you know that Jesus and his sacrifice was without sin? No sin. Everybody say, no sin. This is important because you're going to find out that the feast we're going to talk about today has leaven in it. This has no leaven in it. There is no sin. Jesus was spotless. He was sinless. And that only way that he could pay for our sins was to be spotless, to be sinless. In fact, the Old Testament required that a lamb be slain, but that lamb had to be spotless. Now, that, that didn't mean without sin. It meant without blemish. 
It meant without anything that could be held to its account, that it wasn't perfect in every way. Well, Jesus is the Lamb of God without blemish, without sin, externally, inter internally. He was the Son of God. In Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, verses 4 through 8, the Bible says, These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies that you're to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord Passovers, or Passover begins at twilight of the 14th day of the first month. So we have the day, the 14th day of the first month, which is Nisan. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. Now, what was Passover? Passover was when the death angel passed over the children of Israel, the Hebrew children, and anybody who wasn't marked by the blood on their doorposts and lentils died that night in the land of Goshen or in Egypt. This is when Pharaoh lost his firstborn son, whether it be beast or animal. Then came the first, uh, the, the, the day of first fruits. Jesus is the first fruit of our salvation. He was the first to be born again, raised from the dead. And, and that means that that's something very special for us because if there's a first, then the Bible says if the first is holy, then the lump is holy. So you must understand something. And I'd like you to get my book on first fruits because I think it would help you understand some of this. I, I wrote a book on first fruits. And it's important that you understand it. But here's what you have to understand that's most important to you and I. There are only two people on the planet that count. For you and I. And it's which ancestry you are going to be judged by. Today, you're sitting here, you're either in Adam... Or you are in Christ. See, Adam was God's first creation, first man. And as the first man, when Adam sinned, all men sinned with him. Mankind fell into sin. It's called the sin, the, the Catholic Church calls it original sin. Uh, other, we, we know it as the, the original sin that caused all men to become sinful. So when people get born again... Yes, you've sinned, you have sins, but you have no choice in that matter because you are born in sin. By the way, sinners sin. Just tap your neighbor, say, I'm a sinner, and I sin. But now there's others of you that say, wait, no, but I've been born again. Why do you have to be born again? Well, because now you are in Christ. And those of us in Christ, although we were Sinners, we have been born again, and we are being, not only are we being forgiven of our sin, but we are being transformed from being sinners into being, well, you are a saint, but you're becoming more saintly. How many of you know that you don't get out of sin overnight? Some people say, well, you're a Christian. You should never sin. Well, that would be perfect. It would be great if that worked. But you were a sinner a lot longer than you've been a Christian, most of you. And so sin has a way of having a residue on the inside of us. But Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and was resurrected as the first fruit so that we could have eternal life. Does that make sense? 
So the Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of the month, the Lord's festival of unleavened begins, unleavened bread begins, and for seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, do no regular work. For seven days, a food offering to the Lord, present a food offering to the Lord, and on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. So these are, these are rules that were given to Moses. Then we have first fruits, okay? So we have unleavened bread, then we have first fruits. That's the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead. Okay, Jesus resurrected from the grave. Thank God he did, because if he didn't, we'd all be dead in our sins, because he'd still be dead in his, in, in, in his grave. But 1 Corinthians says this, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So the festival of fruits marks the beginning of the barley harvest and falls in March or April. Now, what we understood last week was that when Jesus was being presented as a resurrected man before the throne room in heaven, the high priest was waving the barley sheaf, the first part of the barley harvest, in front of the Holy of Holies to God. So while the barley harvest, which is the first of the first fruits, the first of the harvest, is being waved, the first of the earthly harvest of mankind is being presented before God. These are symbolic for you and I. We have to understand that God planned this. So today we're going to be talking about Pentecost. The Hebrew word for Pentecost is Shavuot. Shavuot. Pentecost is the last of the spring festivals, okay, and it marks the summer harvest. Now, you had the spring harvest, which was the barley. Now we have the beginning at this time of the wheat harvest. Now, this is very, very important. This falls in late May, early June, in the month of Sivan, and it's the beginning of the wheat harvest. It's the first fruits of the wheat harvest, and that is so symbolic. First of all, you have to understand that the barley represents the Jews, the, uh, in, in a sense, and, 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 and it also represents uh, Jesus, the first fruit, but the wheat represents the Gentiles and it represents the church, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. In Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, verses 15 and 16, and then verse 21, I want you to just read this. It says, from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, this, now, here's what they're talking about. They're talking about the day after Pentecost, or not Pentecost, Passover, okay, after you've done the wave offering, the day of first fruits, he says, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath. And then present an offering of new grain, that's the wheat offering, on that same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly, do no regular work. It's to be an everlasting ordinance for generations to come wherever you are or wherever you live. So, what does this mean? In the Old Testament, the Passover was when the angel of the Lord passed over. The Hebrews were in their homes. They were safe while the Egyptian firstborn were being slain. 
50 days after Passover, the liberated Hebrews have left Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea, and they arrive at Mount Sinai. 50 days. That's why the festival is called Shavuot. In Hebrew, that means weeks. It is a week of weeks. Seven weeks. Seven times seven. 49 plus a day, the 50th day, is Passover. Since Passover. Since Passover. Does that make sense? So in Leviticus 23, verse 16, it says, Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. See, this feast that we're talking about was practiced for 1,500 years and was known as Shavuot. But then something happened. 1,500 years later, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we see something happen, and it's called Pentecostos. It's the Greek word that we get our word Pentecost from. And it means 50. Pentecostos means 50. 50 days. In the New Testament, 50 days after Christ's resurrection, we see in the book of Acts what happened on the day of Pentecost. That was the day that the Holy Spirit fell and the church began. The beginning of the church age. This is an important day for you and I. They had celebrated this feast for 1,500 years, and it was a celebration of something that had happened in their past. They received the law from Moses on that 50th day out of their journey into the wilderness, out of captivity. Here we see that God delivers mankind out of captivity, out of our sins. 50 days later, his Holy Spirit comes and gives us a law that's written on our hearts. Are you listening to me? Acts 1, verses 4 through 8. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that my father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Amen, sister. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, Passover falls in March, late March to mid-April on the Hebrew calendar. Pentecost comes 50 days later in May or sometimes in June. And you have to understand why this is so palatable. Just think about the idea of traveling in wintertime in the snow. This is the middle of summer. This is the, the great time to harvest. It's the beginning of the, or to travel. It's the beginning of the harvest. So you're not laboring that hard in the field. You can go for this feast. You can bring your first fruits. 
and it makes it possible for there to be a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. This accounts for the extraordinary list of countries that are represented at the Feast of Pentecost. And this is also recorded in the second book, or the second chapter of the book of Acts. And let's just read what it says. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews. Everybody say Jews. There were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them speaking in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Praise God. I don't know. Somebody said that the miracle was speaking in tongues. I'm going to tell you something. I believe the miracle was hearing the language in your own language on that day of Pentecost. But all we know is that the Holy Spirit came, fell upon 120 Galilean disciples, and they poured into the streets, and something powerful began to happen. God took ordinary men and moved through them, and it happened to fall exactly 50 days after the Son of, the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, had been buried, fulfilling Passover. Died for our sins. He became the lamb. He was, not only was he killed, he was buried and resurrected three days later as a first fruit for you and I. That is a pretty amazing story. At that sudden and distinct moment, the church was born. And this fledgling church experienced staggering growth. During, on that day alone, 3,000 people, 3,000 men came to know the Lord. Not long after that, 5,000 more. The church was ex exponentially growing. Believers were added, the Bible said. So let me just quickly tell you what this looks like. Here's the symbolism. The feast of Shavuot in the Old Testament is an antitype of Pentecost in the New Covenant. That term antitype, antitype, it refers to how a stamp is made in the mirror image of its desired impression. The Old Testament points forward to the New Testament with events of what happened on Mount Sinai being mirrored in what's happening in the city of Jerusalem on Pentecost morning. They're each mirroring each other. Do you understand what I'm saying? I heard one scholar say this. He says, the New Testament is in the old contained. The Old Testament is in the new explained. 
These are mirrors. God didn't leave anything to chance. God said, hey, I'm going to do something. It's prophetic. It's powerful for my Old Testament saints. But it's only going to be reflected 1,500 years later in New Testament saints. Moses, if you go back and study, I don't have time to get down into this. But if you remember, there was a rebellion at Passover. And Moses comes down, and the people are worshiping a golden calf. So he takes, the Bible says this, it says, Moses, leading the other Levites, went through the camp and killed 3,000 idolaters on the day of Pentecost. Shavuot. St. Peter the Bible says, leading and standing with the other apostles, converted 3,000 devout Jews to eternal life who had come to worship God on the date of the festival of Shavuot, Pentecost. Guys, this is not by accident. I want you to see the Bible has parallels for God to confirm what he's doing. At both, at both of these events, the, the, the Mount Sinai, Shavuot and Pentecost in Jerusalem, the Torah was delivered to God's people. At Sinai, the Ten Commandments and the law was given to Moses and written on tablets of stone by the finger of God. In Exodus 31, it says, And when the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. At Pentecost... The Torah, the law of God, was written on the fleshly tablets of men's hearts. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 3 says, You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. See, these are prophecies. This is a fulfillment of prophecies. In Jeremiah 31, verse 33, it says, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is what God has always wanted. A people who would worship him in spirit and truth. A people who would have the law of God in their hearts, not by some book that they followed. Not by some religion, but by a relationship with Almighty God. In Ezekiel 36, verse 26, it says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Whew. So far from replacing or canceling or conducting the Torah of Moses, the Holy Spirit confirms the Torah for all of us that believe in Messiah. Do you understand that? Now, think about this. Historically, both of these events were accompanied by languages. If you go back and you study the original Hebrew, it says that the people did not want to approach the mountain of God because of the thunder. Is that right? Well, go look at that word thunder. It has nothing to do with lightning and thunder. It has to do 
voices. That thunder was voices. They were hearing voices. Can I tell you something? That's pretty amazing. And what happened on the day of Pentecost? They heard voices. They heard in their own language something happening. God is paralleling these things, okay? How about this? Both events were accompanied by fire. The fire on Mount Sinai was fire that was visible to everybody. The fire in Jerusalem divided itself and rested on each one individually. Therefore, at Sinai, the Torah was given externally to the people as a whole, while in Jerusalem, the Torah was put inside of each and every individual believer. At Sinai, there was a mixed multitude. In fact, in in Exodus 12, verse 38, it says, Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. How, how, How many of you know that when the Hebrew children left Egypt, it wasn't just the Hebrews? How many of you know by then there were a lot of people that were seeing what was going on, and they said, hey, including some Egyptians. They said, hey, we're going to go with you. That's why there was so much trouble in the Hebrew camps. People rose up and said, this isn't the gods that we serve. These aren't the gods we want. We have our own gods. There was a mixed multitude. So it was on the day of Pentecost. Every tribe, every kindred, every nation was represented. There were not just Jews, not just Hebrews, but multitudes of people from all over the world. Are you listening to me? The word Torah, you know, somebody says Torah is the law. No. The word Torah is not the law. The word Torah simply means teaching. The teaching. You know what's amazing? In the Old Testament, the Torah meant teaching. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is the teacher. Jesus said, I'm going to bring you, and the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. This law is no longer the law of words. It's the law of God written on men's hearts. Now, we study the Word of God. We study the Torah. We study His laws. But the Holy Spirit instructs us on how to live in them. Amen? It's, very, it's customary in the Jewish celebration of Shavuot for the people to eat milk foods. Well, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit provides the sincere milk of the Word. Leviticus 23, verse 22 teaches us that when you reap the harvest of your land, it says, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am Lord your God. What, what, what does this speak of? I want you to know something. God has always provided for the Gentile. God has always provided for the foreigner. God has always provided for those who are poor in spirit. It's symbolic of a representation of the fact that God will share his spirit with all people. The Holy Spirit falling in the upper room is symbolic of something. But let me tell you something. It didn't stay in the upper room. It was for all people. In Leviticus 23, he says, from wherever you are, or from wherever you live, bring two loaves. Now, guys, get, get, I want you to see this. Do you remember I said that the barley sheaf that was waved, and at the time of Passover, there was no leaven to be in the house. You had to clean your house, spring cleaning. You had to get rid of all the leaven. Well, now look at this feast. This feast says, 
from wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an epath of finest flour baked with yeast as a wave offering of the first fruits to the Lord. Well, what does yeast stand for? Well, there's two meanings to this. One is that it includes both Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile. God's chosen and the rest of us. But I think more importantly is that Jesus, the first fruit, was without sin, but his church, which is the representation here, the church began on the day of Pentecost, is the two barley loaves were presenting the church to God, and it has yeast in it. How many of you know that you and I have sin in us? How many of you know that the church isn't perfect yet? <laughs> you weren't very convincing there. All right, let's do it this way. Would all the perfect people in church please stand up? No, let me say it again. Would everybody without sin please stand up? No, see, here's what happens. Sometimes we think that because you became a Christian, you you don't sin anymore. No, God knew that. He said, hey, my church is going to have living in it. He says, but I'm going to work with that church. He loves us. Now, he's getting the leaven out of our lives. Don't worry about it. It's not that we go out and sin because, hey, it's okay to sin. It's, it's, it's that there's sin in the church. And God's working that sin. He's helping us deal with it. He's helping us become a community. And we present the church. We present ourselves before him and we say, oh, God, we realize that we have leaven, but we are being made whole through something very powerful that you're doing. On the day of Pentecost, the church realized that we can't do this. They're hiding in an upper room. We're broken. We're broken people. We are sinners. We're saved. Jesus died for us. They'd been with Jesus for 40 days. They knew they were saved, still scared to death, still sinners, still shackled. And then something happened. The Holy Spirit descends on these Scared 120 in an upper room, and they spill out into the streets full of the Holy Ghost and full of power. And God starts using these people. And if you study their lives, you'll find out that they fought with each other even after they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were fearful of each other. They they went back into the law. Some became Judaizers. The church was a mess, but the Holy Spirit made the difference. And God wants to do the same thing for you and I today. As I close the service this morning, I want you to understand something. I am so cognizant of the fact. I'm so aware that if anything gets accomplished in the church, it's because of the Holy Spirit. And if we need anything in Zimbabwe today, if we need anything in our nation today, it is not another politician, I can tell you that right now. Some of you, I, I, you know, some of you, I, I can't understand why... Everybody wants to be president. I think we have five presidents in our, in our congregation. Five of you that want to be cut president. 
by the time everybody, we have an election, I'll be, I'm sure there'll be a dozen of us. And if every church in the nation has a dozen presidents, what are we? Are we confused? Can I tell you something? I would rather have one Joseph than another president. I'd rather have a Daniel who's a slave that influences 